The following is a message by Dr. David Van Drunen from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. For uh, those of you who are guests here with us, uh, the faculty is uh, going through uh, the book of Galatians on Thursdays. Uh, So we are on Galatians 2, 1 through 10. So uh, if you have a Bible and wish to turn there, I will be reading Galatians 2, uh, 1 through 10. Hear God's word. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us Uh, bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. This ends our reading of uh, God's word. Uh, Paul is continuing on here uh, in the beginning of Galatians 2. Uh, In a sense, his personal, uh, the account of his personal uh, uh, doings uh, that he began in the latter part of chapter 1. Now, last week, Professor Van Eve helpfully pointed out that Paul is not telling us these things out of just this sort of inherent personal interest in his own story, uh, as if this is good uh, entertainment. But Paul is intent on defending the gospel when it is being mortally threatened uh, by these Judaizers, by these enemies of the gospel uh, who are troubling the Galatian church. Paul's own personal story, his own apostolic ministry is an essential part of the defense of the gospel. And thus Paul takes all this time, before he gets to those more strictly doctrinal issues in later chapters, he takes all this time to tell us about himself and his own dealings. And again, as Professor Van E pointed out last week, Paul points out towards the end of Galatians 1 that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ who received his gospel directly from the Lord. It was not mediated through any human hand. 
And therefore, he had the authority to proclaim it, and people were obligated to hear it. Paul is not even like ministers or elders today who have authority from the Lord to preach, uh, teach and, uh, the gospel and govern God's people, but receive that call immediately through the church. Paul did not have to receive a call through the church. He received it directly from Christ and received his revelation directly from him. Well, Paul now turns here at the beginning of Galatians 2 to the next stage of uh, this account of his personal dealings that the Galatians need to hear. Fourteen years later, Paul tells us uh, in chapter, uh, in verse 1, fourteen years later, Paul went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And he says here that he went up because of a revelation, um, and he set before these influential people, these pillars of the church in Jerusalem, he set before them the gospel that he proclaims among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And this is a very interesting phrase that Paul uses here. Paul seems to be making an allusion to what Isaiah said about the servant of the Lord. You remember these servant songs in uh, in the book of uh, Isaiah, right? In Isaiah 49, verse 4, the servant uh, cries out, almost in despair, that he had been running his race in vain. And Paul has this habit. It's an interesting habit, and in some respects might be a somewhat disturbing habit of applying the servant songs to himself, We know from the New Testament as a whole that these servant songs were about the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, the suffering servant. And yet Paul, on a number of occasions in his letters and even in the book of Acts, particularly Acts 13, applies these to himself and his ministry. And it seems to be an odd thing. It seems to be even a very presumptuous thing. Any of you apply the servant songs to yourself as if, Isaiah was prophesying about you? What is Paul doing? Well, that's a big subject in and of itself. But it's important to remember here that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, it was as if Jesus Christ himself were appearing to the Galatians and that when and the others to whom he ministered, they heard the voice of Paul, but they were the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw Paul But through him, they saw Christ himself. It is interesting that in verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul speaks about God being pleased to reveal his son in me. That the translation seems to is muted often in English translations. It is in Paul himself that Christ is revealing himself to the people to whom he ministers. Paul is an apostle who stands in the place of Christ One of the things the servant of the Lord was going to do was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to be a light for the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry never went to the ends of the earth. But Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, is presenting Christ and speaking Christ to these people. The servant of the Lord prophecies are being fulfilled even in Paul's ministry. You see... You can understand 
how Paul would take upon his lips here these words of the servant. In order that I had not been, and, or, to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. The servant of the Lord in Isaiah cries out, almost in despair, that he had been running in vain. You think about the sufferings that the servant of the Lord underwent. You think about our Lord Jesus Christ enduring the wrath of men, enduring the rejection of the people, enduring the torment of the cross, crying out in his soul, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every temptation to despair. And yet, in Isaiah 49, verse 4, the servant expresses confidence even in the midst of those temptations to despair. And Paul himself will not give up. Paul himself will not give in to the discouragement that has come. Imagine all of these revelations that he has received, all of this preaching and this teaching that he has done, and yet what opposition. So many people opposing him. And now people have evidently been saying to him, even the pillars of the church in Jerusalem don't agree with you. Even they're teaching something different. Imagine if we put ourselves in Paul's shoes. The despair that must have been constantly a temptation before him. But God will not let him despair. God, by revelation, sends him to Jerusalem to see these pillars of the church himself and to find out if indeed they are really opposing him. And indeed, as we will see, they are not. Paul comes and he gets full apostolic confirmation. They extend to him the right hand of fellowship. This is a gift for Paul. Not that he really needed it. He had a revelation from Jesus Christ directly. But what confirmation for him that he was not running in vain. That the church in Jerusalem was not forsaking the gospel. That the other apostles were not forsaking the gospel. And what a blessing for us. It would be enough if God had simply given us one apostle to speak an infallible word to us. But in his mercy, he gives us not one, but he gives us 13. He gives us not the witness of one, but the witness of many. We might be confident that the gospel proclaimed in Galatians is not an idiosyncratic word. It is a word that has the backing of the entire ministry of the apostles. They confirmed this gospel, which Paul is preaching here. Well, let's consider in a bit more detail, verses 3 through 9, where Paul gives a, uh, an account of what transpires when he comes to Jerusalem and meets with the various parties there. The very first thing he notes, it's interesting, in verse 3, is that Titus, this Greek disciple, this Greek believer, was not forced to be circumcised. You see what a powerful polemical point this is. Right? If there is anything, if there is anything that would expose the apostles, the pillars in Jerusalem, as opponents of Paul's gospel, it would be confronted with an uncircumcised Gentile walking around in their midst and claiming fellowship with them. Right? If anything was going to trigger a bad response to Paul's message and Paul's ministry, it would be this. But you see how Paul can say, Even Titus, uncircumcised, was not forced to be circumcised. It is an indication 
that the apostles in Jerusalem are not opposed to Paul's message. Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5 to tell of those who did oppose him. The opposition did not come from the apostles. The opposition came from these false brothers. That's what he calls them in verse 4. And Paul uses this very negative language about them. They were secretly brought in. They slipped in to spy out freedom in Christ. These were not people with good motives. These are those who are there to damage Paul's ministry and to damage the progress of the gospel. And it's interesting, what is, what is it that they are really opposing? What is it about the gospel that draws their particular attention? They are opposed to the freedom that Paul's gospel proclaims. They want to drag the church back into slavery. You see, one of the things that Paul emphasizes in, the, in this book of Galatians, we're getting a foretaste of it here, is freedom. Justification by faith alone brings freedom. And he's not talking here, of course, about the right to vote and the right to a free press and all those things that are nice in and of themselves. But Paul is talking here about freedom at a much more important level. He's talking about freedom from God's condemnation. He's talking about freedom from the curse of the law. The law is a covenant of works that proclaims judgment against sinners. He's also talking about freedom from the law of Moses, which Paul says in chapter 3, it was brought in and imprisoned everything under sin, reminding sinners of their judgment before God, reminding sinners, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul proclaims freedom from the law as it functions as a covenant of works, as it enslaved God's people for a time, pointing them and preparing them for this coming Messiah. Justification brings freedom, and Paul will not, he will not go back, and he will not let the church as a whole be dragged back under the slavery that the law brings when it pronounces a curse upon the unjustified. Notice how Paul speaks of himself being so unyielding. In verse 5, he says, To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. There is a time for being ironic. Most times are a time for being ironic. We always seek to be charitable. We even seek to be charitable to those who may be accused of being untrue to the gospel, but maybe have been misunderstood or misquoted. We always seek to be as peaceful and charitable as we can. But when the gospel is truly at stake, we see Paul here saying, it is not even for a moment that he is going to give in. There is not a single compromise that Paul will make about this point. Try to take away our freedom and justification. Paul will be as unyielding as he possibly could be. And you see the result? You see the purpose? He says it was for you. Right? These very people who were tempted to fall away from the gospel, Paul says, I did this for you. Because Paul's mission as an apostle, along with these other apostles, 
was, as he says in Ephesians 2, verse 20, right? it was, it was to, to lay the foundation for the church. The apostles and the prophets were to be the foundation of this church which was being built. If Paul had foundered, if the apostles had foundered, if they had compromised about the gospel, the foundation would have crumbled. And if the foundation crumbles, there's no building that can be built upon that. People of God, the fact that we are here today is a result of the fact that Paul did not founder, that he was persistent, even to the point of speaking these harsh, frank, sometimes painful words in Galatians in defense of the gospel. It was because he would not budge for an instant that the foundation, a solid foundation was laid and upon which we, even now, are enjoying the fruits of that. We are being built upon that foundation, as he says in Ephesians 2. And so we note here this absolute apostolic harmony. It's beautiful to observe that the apostles were unanimous in supporting Paul. Paul says that they added nothing to my gospel. The way Paul puts it is significant. It's not just that they didn't oppose me, not just that they said they're teaching the same things. They didn't add anything. And that really is the point. Paul was defending justification by faith alone. And it was nothing to be added to faith. It was by grace alone. There's nothing to be added to grace. It was by Christ alone. There was nothing to be added to grace. The Judaizers, these false brothers, they didn't oppose the idea of faith. They didn't oppose the idea of grace. They didn't oppose Christ. They claimed to be Christians. But they wanted to add something. Something more if you are to enjoy fellowship with Christ, if you are to be justified and right with him. Paul would not add anything to that message of the gospel by faith, by grace alone. And the other apostles added nothing to him either. Now Paul does refer to them as those who seemed to be important, seemed to be influential, He does acknowledge Peter's apostolic ministry, yet he does hedge his language a bit. Remember, Paul is not conceding that the truth of his message depended upon the approval of the other apostles. The revelation from Jesus Christ to him was sufficient, and yet Paul Paul is, uh, so Paul is hedging his language a bit, He is leaving room for himself in the very next passage, which will be talked about next week, that Peter himself, though he supported Paul's ministry and upheld the the doctrine of justification, in his practice even lapsed into acting as if he was still in bondage to the law. Well, we come now to verse 10. In some ways, verse 10 seems like a strange way to end this passage. Only, Paul says, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, Paul said, they don't add any, they didn't add anything to my message. So when these other apostles said to Paul, please remember the poor, they weren't adding anything to the gospel, not a requirement for justification, like circumcision. But Paul has very strategic reasons 
for mentioning this point, however briefly here at the end of this section. You see, Paul's ministry to the poor, Paul's concern for the poor, was well known to the Galatians. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Paul makes reference to, this, uh, to, to these offerings for the poor that he was gathering, even from the Galatians. You see, Paul is, in this very, very brief way, anticipating something later in Galatians, something that also appears in Romans. If, if Paul is serious about this doctrine of justification by faith alone, does it make a person indifferent towards doing what is right, doing what is godly, doing what is just? Is that the result? Are we antinomians? That is the constant objection. Paul anticipates this objection in this sort of brief way here, and he'll get to it full bore in chapter 5. And he does this in a way by appealing to something the Galatians know. Is Paul indifferent to the poor? Not at all. In fact, Paul says, concern for the poor is the very thing that I wanted to do. In chapter 5, Paul is going to explain that this faith by which we are justified works by love. And he's going to explain later in chapter 5 that this freedom we have in Christ, the freedom that that he clings to with every ounce of his being, is a freedom that allows us to serve our neighbor in love. It's not a freedom for indulgence of the flesh. It is a freedom to serve by our justification. We are freed from self-indulgence. We are freed from obsession about ourselves. We are freed from this, this constant interest on whether we are doing enough to be able to satisfy God's requirements. We are freed from that so that we might serve, that we might love one another, that we might take interest in our neighbor. And interest in the poor, concern for the poor, is one of the great ways in which faith works by love, in which our justified freedom results in service for our neighbor. The poor was a great concern for the early church, and Paul has, uh, shares that concern uh, for them. Well, we've come to the end of this passage and the end of our time. May we give thanks for this united apostolic witness, the witness of not one but many, to the truth of this gospel. May we be zealous as Paul. We who are being built on the foundation, may we be as zealous for him as him who built that foundation. And may we remember that this glorious freedom that we have is a freedom that frees us to be of service to our neighbor. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Galatians and for these straightforward and frank words of the Apostle Paul. O Lord, we thank you for his zeal. We thank you that he devoted himself to your service in such a wholehearted way that when he was opposed, he even was tempted to despair that he would run in vain. And yet we know, O Lord, that his service was no ordinary service. It was the service of one who was called by Christ directly, to whom Christ revealed himself directly, who spoke the very words 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth to be that light for the nations, a covenant for the Gentiles. Thank you that in him, the church, through his ministry, the church has indeed been established and founded and that that gospel that Paul was so zealous to protect is still being proclaimed today, still being embraced, still providing that profound comfort and encouragement for sinners. Oh Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith, that you would give us a zeal for that gospel, give us an unwavering commitment to it for the good of your people, for the sake of your church. And we pray, O Lord, that as those who are freed from condemnation, freed from self-obsession, freed from self-interest, that you would give us also that zeal to be of service to our neighbor, to show that love to others that you have shown to us in Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.